So Jesus, thank you for being here. And Holy Spirit, help us to understand what you meant in that really weird scripture there um, and how we apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good to see all of you guys here, and I want to say welcome to those of you watching online at home, as well as at 11 o'clock service, as well as our middle schoolers, high schoolers. Thank you all for coming out on a Sunday. The first sermon series I ever did here when I first arrived was called Plastic Jesus. So some people from, you know, some of you guys gave me various Plastic Jesus action figures, and I put them in my office. And over the years, that collection has grown as more of you have given me more stuff. So now multiple shelves on my bookcase are taken up with this collection of Christian kitsch. Sort of looks like this. So that's all over. So it's things like the look good for Jesus makeup kit. Right? You're very handy. And then the last supper after dinner mints. Right? And, and, and just kind of all kinds of, of, of crazy stuff that you guys have given me over the years. Well, a couple years ago, a well-known British uh, a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright spoke here, and he's a bit of a celebrity theologian, which is a kind of contradiction in terms, but someone who's influenced my thinking and my preaching a lot, so I was excited to meet him. But, and before he spoke, some of us were going to get together for prayer, uh, but he got here before I did, so Rich, our missions pastor, showed him into my office this British scholar, right? And when he saw my plastic G's eye, right, he just stared at it for a while, and then he said, oh dear. <laughs> Which Rich was delighted to tell me about as soon as, I, as soon as I arrived. And so from then on, I knew it was clear nothing I could do from then on was ever going to impress him, which in a way was kind of a relief, right? The pressure was off. It was very humbling. That's kind of what happens to Nebuchadnezzar in this story. He gets a lex uh, lesson in humility. And humility is one of those broccoli topics, right? Like, we, we know that we should probably need it, and we know we should probably be humble, but we're not super excited about it, right? Like, I bet you didn't go up, get up this morning going, I hope he preaches on humility, man. That would be awesome, right? But humility is key to actually a lot of really good things in life. Like, humility is key to good friendships, so that you're not jealous of each other's successes. It's key to being successful in school or in sports or, or in the job. A great football or basketball team isn't a bunch of people playing for their own glory, but it's, it's people who have the humility to work together for the overall win, even if someone else shines. Think how much better our civil discourse would be right now if people had the uh, humility to listen to opposing viewpoints respectfully, right? Instead of just arguing all the time. Think how much better a little humility would help there, right? And when I said that, did you think of some people or groups that need to do that? <laughs> or did you think about you needing to do that? And of all the character traits a leader needs, I think the most important one for a leader is humility, which is why I'm so glad I have it. <laughs> that was a joke. Now, I want, let me define it. By humility, I want what, what, it, what it is, what it isn't. I do not mean, it does not mean false modesty. Humility is not Steph Curry saying, yeah, I'm not really very good at basketball. Right? Like, that's not humility, that's just irritating. And it's also not the same as self-criticism. Never mistake insecurity for humility. They're two different things. Because when I'm insecure, what am I focused on? Me. Me, right? That's the opposite of humility. So what is humility? Humility is being rightly related to ourselves, God, and everyone else. Understanding who God created you to be and who you aren't, 
right? Which is freeing because when, when you know what you're good at and not good at, you, you can get free of pressuring yourself to succeed in places you shouldn't be succeeding and steer instead into the things you were designed to do. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of ourself, it's thinking of ourself less. It's what Pastor Tim Keller calls the freedom of self-forgetfulness. What a great phrase, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. So, for instance, humility does not mean you sit in the back of the room if you should be up front leading because that's what you're designed to do. Humility is about being part of something bigger than ourselves and not thinking of ourselves at all because we're sold out to something bigger. Like Martin Luther King. He, you, know, you don't get the sense that Martin Luther King was sitting around wondering how, how people felt about him, right? Worried about if they liked him or not. He was sold out to a higher cause, and, and, and he understood, because of that, he became one of America's most significant leaders because he understood that what a leader does is empower other people to meet the overall goal and that you can accomplish anything if you're humble enough not to care who gets the credit. And, of course, Jesus is our ultimate model in humility, right? Like he wrote the book on it, and he changed the world. So humility is not about being passive or weak or meek, right? Humility is very powerful, and it changes people. It changes the world. And we can be confident and humble at the same time because confidence is not the opposite of humility. The opposite of humility is self-focus. And you can see this. People who always brag, people who are always pushing their way to the top, they're the insecure ones even though they look strong, desperate to prove themselves. Or name-dropping, sure sign of insecurity. At least that's what Tom Cruise told me at lunch the other day. So. <laughs> and in the story that we just read, King Nebuchadnezzar learns about humility. He brags, and then he loses his sanity temporarily, eats grass like a cow for a while, and then recovers and gets everything back. And this story shows us three things, the problems with pride, the benefits of humility, and how do we get humility, okay? First, the problems of pride. The text says 12 months later, and I'll get to that in a minute, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace, he said, is not this the great Babylon? Let me stop there. Babylon was amazing. It was the largest city on earth at the time. Proportional to the rest of the world, Babylon was bigger than New York is today. And it was, it's what in, today is Iraq, and it was this vast empire. And the city walls were so wide, you could turn a four-horse chariot around on it. It had the famous hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it was amazing. And Nebuchadnezzar is the top of all of it. He is a smashing success. And there are two things that reveal our character very quickly. The first is failure. When we lose, our character comes out. The second, and maybe more dangerous, is success. Really quickly reveals our character. How do you handle it? How do you treat people around you when you've got it? And we all have success, right? We all have things we're good at. How are you handling your successes? Nebuchadnezzar, not so good. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built by my mighty power? Okay, lots of problems here, all right? First, Nebuchadnezzar didn't build the Babylonian Empire. Daddy did it. His father built it, right? Now, he added to it, he, but he inherited most of it. Nebuchadnezzar was born on third base, and he thinks he hit a triple. Plus, what's this I built it stuff, right? He never laid so much as one single brick in all of his life. Let's be clear. Slaves built Babylon. And this is one of the problems with pride. It blinds us to what we've been given. 
We think, I worked hard for what I have. My grades, my athletic achievements, my job, my popularity. Man, I worked hard for this stuff. Business deal goes well. You think, man, I'm glad I was on that business deal. I nailed it. Business deal goes poorly. It's someone else's fault. Right? Should never put Fred on the team. Stupid Fred. <laughs> Score the touchdown. It's all those hours of training that I did. That's why we end up with things like a recent survey that showed that 94% of professors think they're in the top 10% of their profession. <laughs> okay, were there any math professors in that survey? Like, serious? Now, there's truth in that. There's truth in that. We don't have to pretend that we don't have certain gifts and abilities and talents. We can, we can talk about those things and be confident in those things. And yes, we worked hard to capitalize on the opportunities we had, just like Nebuchadnezzar worked hard to extend his father's empire. It's just that there's more to the story than that. You were born with a certain body that allows you to do certain things. That wasn't your doing. Or you were raised in a family that encouraged education, so you did well in school. Again, that wasn't your call. Right? You live in a prosperous country, for the most part, not your doing. Some people went to private schools or had parents with connections that could set them up in life. See, pride is sneaky. It's there when we're, everything's going great and we think, man, I deserve this. I worked hard. But pride's also there when everything falls apart. And we think, I don't deserve this. I deserve better. The focus either way is still on me. Pride blinds us to how much we've been given. Which means the antidote to pride is gratitude. Gratitude. Acknowledge that we've worked hard. Acknowledge that we have certain skills and talents and gifts. Yes, 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 all that's true, while simultaneously giving thanks to God and others who helped you along the way. When I talk to other pastors and hear the problems they have in their churches, I am so grateful for all of you. Like, you love Jesus. You want to make a difference. I am, I am very grateful for you. And I am grateful for my three predecessors in this role who led so humbly and who built such a strong church. I am drinking from wells I did not dig, and I am very well aware of that. Gratitude is an antidote to pride. Okay? So Nebuchadnezzar says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Serious? Like, is that the point of your success? That's it? Your glory? Like, aim high, king. Maybe, like, maybe, like, maybe, maybe God had some other ideas for how you could use your wealth, your popularity, your social connections, your education, your athletic gifts, whatever it is that you have. Maybe God has another idea for how to use those. Maybe God thought about using those things for a bigger purpose than how many likes you get on your Instagram. And see, here's the other problem with pride. It blinds us to our deeper purpose. We start to think it's all about me. How impressive is my job? How high is my GPA? How well can I be liked? But God has so much more for us than that. And you see that in the part of the story that we did not read. Okay, the passage we read started with the phrase 12 months later. Okay, so what's going on there? Here's the backstory, what we didn't read. A year before this story, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a giant tree that provides food for everyone, right? But then a voice comes from heaven and commands that the tree be cut down. Guess who the tree is? Right? And so Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel to interpret the dream. Daniel's very diplomatic at first. He says to the king, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies. <laughs> okay, not a great way to start, right? Like, and basically this is diplomatic, like, uh, Mr. Tyrant, oppressive king, right? Like, about that tree thing, uh, okay, I'm just the messenger, don't get mad, but you're the tree. And you're going to get chopped down. 
So renounce your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Why does he say be kind to the oppressed? Well, for starters, it's one of the most frequent commands in the Bible. But more specifically, whenever, and we've seen this a couple of times already, whenever Nebuchadnezzar gets mad at someone, he'd say, this is what he'd say, I decree that they be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. So he has some issues, right? He is prone to injustice, which happens when we have success, power, wealth. We start to, we don't see the ways we're hurting other people who have less than we do. But imagine if Nebuchadnezzar used all of his wealth, all of his power, all of his prestige, his job, his connections, his gifts, his talents. Imagine if he used them for good. And that's what the dream of the tree was trying to tell him. It says that on the tree was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter. The tree provided for others. And Nebuchadnezzar's the tree, and he had not been raised to such a position for himself alone. It was to help other people. Where might your achievements be blinding you to your deeper purpose? See, God gives us a vision bigger than ourselves because it feels good to get out of ourselves, right? A vision big enough to command our whole lives. He says, let me work through you to make all things new, to make marriages new, to get people out of poverty, to make your school or your workplace a better place through you, to help, for you to help the people around you. Let me work through you to encourage people who need encouraging, to give friendship to the lonely, to make people feel loved who need to feel loved, to empower people that need to be empowered, to raise up and train people who need to be raised up and trained. See, pride blinds us to our deeper purpose, so the antidote is to be part of God's bigger purpose, to leverage our time, our talents, our connections, our skills, our gifts, our job for something bigger than ourselves, and that just feels good to get out of ourselves. I would not be here if it weren't for the senior pastor I worked for in California who had the humility to preach less often so I could work and develop preaching skills. And I wouldn't be here if it weren't for his humility. He didn't feel like he had to be in the pulpit all the time, right? Now, for him, that was, a, that was joyful. For him, at the end of his career, he got the, the joy of empowering some of us younger leaders and to see us then launched around the country leading churches. For him, it wasn't like an eat your broccoli thing. For him, it was like, this is fun. I get to do this. See, it feels good to get out of ourselves because when we're part of something bigger, we think of ourselves less, Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar brags, then he loses his sanity, eats grass like a cow, very humbling, right? Text says his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird, so the mother of all bad hair days, right? And there's sort of this poetic justice here. Nebuchadnezzar aspired to be more than human, so God made him less than human for a while, so he could end up simply human. And it says it lasted for seven times. That could be seven years, seven months, seven seasons. We don't know. And then it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, acknowledged it wasn't all about him. There's God. There's something bigger out there. And my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. He's happy at being humbled. He's happy that he was humbled. Why? Well, basically, he's saying there was a cancer in my soul and I'm so grateful that God removed it and took it away. And he realizes there are some amazing benefits to humility. So here's some benefits for humility. For instance, humility frees you to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. I once had a man say to me, Scott, when I die, I want you to do my memorial service. And I said, oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. It's because you want the best, right? And he said, absolutely. I want the best memorial service ever. And I said, well, then what you want is Pastor Dana or Pastor Rosalind, because they're the best at memorials. If what you want is a truly mediocre memorial, I'm your guy. 
okay? But if you want the best, Dana or Rosalind is what you want. There's freedom in that. We don't have to try to be good at what we're not good at. We can just gracefully accept our limitations and let other people be the superstar once in a while. Second benefit, humility frees us from the stress of having to perform. The story starts out, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. Those are two weird sentences to go together. He's contented. He's prosperous. You'd think he'd be the last guy on earth that would have any worries, nothing to disturb his sleep, no bad dreams for him. Nobody is, is ever going to downsize him, right? He's got the most powerful army in the world. He's safe. Why does he have bad dreams? Well, see, because pride causes us to think it's all up to us, and we've got to keep it up, especially if we're successful. Am I achieving enough? Are my grades good enough? Are my looks good enough? Is my job fancy enough? Is my house big enough? Got to keep it up. Don't screw it up. That'll stress you out and give you bad dreams. Because you're only as good as your last grade, last game, last deal, last sermon. But humility realizes it's not all up to me, and it's not all about me, and I can take my eyes off myself. Do my best, not to please others, but simply be who God created me to be. I heard a high school student named Colin, doesn't go to this church, a different church, and he gave his testimony and he said, I've always been well-liked in school, I'm a good athlete, got all district in baseball, homecoming king, he said, I got it going on. But it wore off. And he said, we'd have success in baseball and it was great, but then I think, well, what's next? Or you date the girl that everyone thinks is great, but when it's over, then what? And he said, living to make everyone happy came with a lot of pressure to keep it up and to not screw it up. And I ended up not enjoying anything. Nothing was fun. It sucked. Well, then a friend invited them to their youth group. And at first, he didn't like all the religious stuff. But it, he did feel like that was a place he didn't have to perform. And so one night, he said, God, all right, if you're real, show me a sign. So he flipped his Bible open randomly, and it landed on Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that really spoke to him. And he felt like God was there. So he said, okay, Jesus, whatever it means for you to come into my life, let's do this. And he says now he feels Jesus' presence, not always, but sometimes. And that helps take the pressure off because he feels love for who he is, not what he achieves. And so feels freer to do his best but not stress out about what everyone else is going to think. And he's having fun again. He said, quote, it just feels so much better to know all my accomplishments and good deed doings and rewards are more than that. It's because of God that we have these things. He has the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Which brings me to the third benefit of humility, better relationships. It takes humility to ask forgiveness from a friend or a spouse, but it sure makes for a better friendship and it sure makes for a better marriage. And when friends have humility, they're not constantly jealous of each other's successes. They can celebrate them. And then the final benefit, humility leads to some beautiful moments. Teams win victories. Couples reconcile. Friends support each other. Christian author and priest Brennan Manning writes about being in the Atlanta airport and having his shoes shined by an African-American man. And in, during that, the, God just kind of nudged him to reverse the roles. So when the guy was done, Brennan said, now, sir, I would like to shine your shoes. And the guy began to cry and said, no white man has ever talked to me like this before or ever treated me like this. When we move in humility, good things happen and we see God work. Okay, so then how do we get it? How do we get humility? Because it's not exactly something you can strive for, right? Because that sort of defeats the purpose, right? If you're going, I will be humble, I will be humble. You know, who are you focused on? Still focused on you, right? Plus, even if you do start to be more, more humble, you'll notice it and be proud that you're humble, right? 
So humility is not something we can achieve. It's a byproduct of other things. Okay, and I've already mentioned two already. Gratitude and be part of something bigger than yourself, what God is doing, right? Third way to humility, pay attention to God's gracious warnings. A year prior to his losing his sanity, God warned Nebuchadnezzar what was going to happen if he didn't get more humble. And for a whole year, Nebuchadnezzar ignored it. There are all kinds of signs around to help us be more humble. Uh, there's a story about Albert Einstein, arguably the smartest man ever, right? And he was traveling from Princeton on a train, and the conductor came by and asked Einstein for his ticket. And Einstein looked in his pockets and all around his seat, couldn't find it. Right? So the conductor said, that's all right, Dr. Einstein. We all know who you are, and I'm sure you bought a ticket. And the conductor just kept going down the aisle. Well, then he turned back, and Einstein was down on his hands and knees, searching under all the seats and all of this stuff, right? So the conductor came back and said, really, it's okay, Dr. Einstein. We know who you are. And Einstein said, well, I know who I am too. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> Life has this way of reminding us that we're not all that in a bag of chips, right? Even if you're Einstein. So pay attention to the signs and the warnings. And then the final way to get humility is experience Jesus' love for you. In prayer, worship, community, scripture. Because see, when we realize how big God is, all of creation, all the billions of galaxies, all those planets, how big God is, and yet in all of that, he loves you. He thinks of you. In all of creation, he is mindful of you. And when you understand how big God is and how vast, how wide, how high, how deep, how long is the love of God, doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done, doesn't matter how dirty your uniform is from the game of life, he loves you and there's not a darn thing you can do about it. And when you realize this big God loves you, it humbles you and all of life becomes a gift. So what are some opportunities you might have to practice a little humility right now this week? so that you can experience the joy of self-forgetfulness and be part of what God is doing. Maybe it's to take a back seat so a friend or a teammate can shine. Maybe it's to ask forgiveness for something. Maybe to acknowledge that you need help with something and let someone help you, which for this church may be the hardest thing ever because we like to be in control and not need help. Local pastor recently wrote about how he was flying back to Seattle and on a plane, and he was reading a book called Ministering to 21st Century Families. And he heard a mom and her young son arguing because the little boy wanted to be in the window seat. So he said, I'll take the aisle so that he can have the window. And the boy was excited, and mom thanked him. But then he noticed she kept looking back at the back of the plane. And he said, do you have another child traveling with you? And she said, yeah, my daughter is in the middle seat in the last row. And the pastor said, I groaned inwardly, right? Like the worst seat on the plane, right? Like middle, in the back, all the people in line for the restroom, the smell of the restroom, all the way back to Seattle. But he said, you know what? I'll take her seat so y'all can sit together. You know, my wife's traveled with our kids. I, I got some empathy. And he said, after squeezing myself into a space designed for a 90-pound person with 24-inch legs, I looked at my book, Ministering to 21st Century Families, and I thought reading this book did nothing to actually minister to any families unless I applied it. And when I saw the young girl smile and the relief on the mom's face, I felt a momentary splash of God's glory. What a great phrase, right? It may not be my most profound act of ministry, but something as simple as giving up my seat on a plane 
ministered to a family way more than anything I've ever written or said. And I felt joy and I felt God's presence. And so the middle seat was just fine by me. That simple. Every day we get chances. Every day we get chances. One of my favorite verses in the Bible says, humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God that in due season he may lift you up. The pastor humbled himself, right? And some of you may be thinking, what a nice story. Gave up his seat on the plane. Ain't ever going to happen, right, with me (laughs) because I don't want that bad seat, right? But he humbled himself and what happened? He experienced God's presence and his humility brought joy to himself but also to a really stressed out family. And the one who helps us with all of this is obviously Jesus. Jesus, whose scripture says, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. But what comes next? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the way up is down. And the way to be fully ourselves is to think of ourselves less. And Jesus empowers us to do just that. Why? Even though he was God, did he choose to come in human form, be born into poverty, die a painful death, rise again? He did it for you and he did it for me. That's how important you are to him. And when we experience that love from the almighty, sovereign, reigning God of the universe, we are humbled and all of life becomes a gift. We would not give up our glory so Jesus gave up his for you and for me. Therefore, let's humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, and in due season, he will lift us up. So Jesus, thank you that you are the humble king. Thank you that no other God chooses the way of humility but you, but you chose the way of humility. Jesus, help us to walk in your steps. Be humble the way you are humble, and we will give you glory and credit for all the good things that come from that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.